well, I guess we could go ahead and, and get started on it. Do you want to do uh, the intro? No, you got it. You got it. It's Are you good. sure? Yeah, yeah, okay. you got it. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And we are joined by our creator of the show, uh, the, the man responsible for the Film Buds at all, uh, who has been away for some time now. We're joined by the one, the only, Henry. Hello. How you doing, man? I'm doing fine. Uh, it's nice to be back. Uh, and thank you for getting all this, you know, together, because I know I only have a short time of leave. But, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to be back. It's been five months, I think, since, since August. And um, I've been able to watch some movies, not a whole lot, but excited to be here. No, we're excited to have you. When you and I were talking and trying to put this um, episode together and you were telling me what you'd seen, honestly, you'd seen a lot more new things than than I had. You know, mm. you were like, oh, Venom, let there be carnage and this. And I was like, nope, nope, yeah. nope. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were like the Green Knight, I was like, aha, we have yeah. one. So uh, no, yeah, it's it's good to have you on. Um, you know, it's it's it was definitely strange you know, stepping into hosting and doing everything on the show after, you know, really just kind of showing up, you know, yeah. once a week. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was a pretty big change and it felt pretty weird um, for a little while there to, to take over the show. Um, but I know that you've been and listening and you've been very encouraging and, and I have to definitely thank you for that. Um, because yeah. all the time I'm always worried that I'm making a terrible show. So <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking when I was doing it. So you know, I've been there. Um, but no, like I mean, as I've said, uh, was just saying off air, and I've said to you over the last couple of months, I really do appreciate you taking the reins, um, or both of you really keeping it going. Um, and uh, you know, you've been able to bring some new like ideas and styles, and create some new connections and networks and all that stuff that I either wouldn't have ever thought of or just didn't have the time to do. So I, I appreciate that. Um, but now that I'm back, I can't wait to just tear all that down and just, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but no, it's been, yeah, as, as you were saying, um, I've been able to listen most weeks um, or, or, and if not, then to catch up later on. So yeah, I've been able to stay up to date for the most part and um, have enjoyed having like a, hearing like Sky Tillion, you know, every so often, people like that. So, and as well as some of the interviews you've done. So that's been, that's been nice. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, thankfully people have been, have been really nice enough to, to come on and, and, you know, be a part of it. And yeah, I like the idea that, you know, Film Buds is, is a collection of friends beyond just, you know, whoever is in the host seat or the co-host seat at the time. And so it's been a lot of fun going and bringing on these people and, you know, like I hadn't really talked to Austin Craver in a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so getting him on the show was like a lot of fun and reconnecting with him was super great. So no, yeah. it's, it's been fun. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are also celebrating our 200th episode. Woo! Yeah, we officially hit the 200 mark. That's crazy. So, um, it, it, I was super pleased, you know, when you said that you were going to be able to come on and I started like mapping out the content I was like ah 200 like yeah perfect perfect spot to get Henry back yeah um and hopefully we'll also be able to get you on next week as well yeah that would be nice if at all possible 
Yeah, uh, we're thinking about doing the Gremlins. Perfect. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's our 200th episode. We're continuing our, our Christmas theme. And, you know, when Henry said that he had seen The Green Knight and I was trying to put together Christmas content, I was like, aha, it's perfect. It yeah. starts on Christmas, it ends on Christmas. So um, it just... seemed like such a natural fit. <laughs> and which, let me say, was that was not in my head whatsoever when I was choosing it or when I was suggesting it. So I'm glad you picked up on that. It worked out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also I think, um, I think the green Knight is, uh, I think that we saw it in theaters the last time we recorded together, like the second to last time we recorded yeah, together. Um, and so it, it's this nice little sort of, you know, coalescence of a lot of different things. So it's, yeah, it's a good pick. Um, well, you know, we've, we've got a lot to talk about with the movie. It's quite the, uh, quite the piece. And so if, if you're ready, we can go ahead and get going with it. I'm not scared. <laughs> All right. Perfect. So, uh, as always, we have a clip. So let's take a listen. Friends. Brothers and sisters. Who can regale me and my queen with some myth? Or tale? So that was The Green Knight. Uh, it came out in 2021, this year. And the synopsis is a fantasy retail, retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. It is written and directed by David Lowry, and it stars uh, Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander, uh, Joel Edgerton, uh, Sean Harris, Kate Dickey, Ralph Innocent, and uh, Sarita Chidori. I think that's how you say that. Um, and uh, I do have a little bit of history, if you don't mind me giving some background real oh, quick. I mean, Paul, I mean, at this point, I'm very used to it. You know, I, I, I <laughs> so, so go for it. Uh, for a little bit of background for y'all on Arthurian lore and legend uh, and the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, um, essentially, Arthur and all of his tales are kind of weird amalgams of a lot of different things. And the sort of general consensus is that there wasn't really one set Arthur, or if there was an Arthur, he was one of several warlords or uh, military warriors of some kind who helped fend off an Anglo-Saxon invasion of Britain back in like 300 to 400 CE and that his myth kind of grew and became combined with a lot of Welsh and Irish myth and legend, um, and that eventually once the core structure of Arthur was created, then people just started tagging on more and more stuff to it. Um, and so when you go and look at his stories, they're pretty much all either one of a few things, either a battle story, a tragic romance, a story of duty versus love, or an examination of power. Um, there's always, you know, the sword and the stone, the round table, Camelot, and the Holy Grail. And, um, 
he always usually has three nights that are important. He normally has somewhere between like 12 or a few hundred followers. But his three key followers are usually Lancelot, Galahad, and Sir Gawain. Um, and the, the whole knight lore part of it essentially got established in the 1400s, which is also around the time when um, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight was written. It is authored, as the movie says, by Unknown. Um, however, most historians refer to him as the Gawain poet or the Pearl poet because Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is amongst only four other poems that we know of by this author. And he was a contemporary of Chaucer. It is a uh, about 2,500 line poem that is largely alliterative with uneven stances tied together by rhyme stanzas. And most people think that it's like an absolute masterwork. Um, and the Pearl Poet is, is considered one of the greatest unknown poets of, of the generation. Uh, and so that's a little bit of, of background for you on, on Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Uh, the original story is really just sort of a, a truthfulness tale. It's like a big morale story. Um, and interestingly, Sir Gawain had started out as being perceived in a lot of the stories as like this perfect knight but then over like several hundred years ended up becoming an asshole in, in the stories uh, until we eventually landed on the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And so that's a little bit of an, of a historic overview. Oh, uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And so now that uh, that's sort of out of the way, let's get to the good stuff. Henry, what did you think of the movie? Oh, uh, so, oh, sorry. Um, so I, uh, I like David Lowry a lot. I saw Ain't Them Body Saints, which was his first big movie. And we actually reviewed that on the show as well as um, a ghost story really early on. And then Paul, you and I, and the other Henry, we talked mm -hmm. about Pete's Dragon on the, one of the bonus shows. Uh, so I've followed his work a fair bit. I didn't see his most recent movie, The Old Man and the Gun with, mm -hmm. um, the guy Robert Redford yeah and but so overall I like him I usually will watch whatever he does and this really piqued my interest even though I didn't watch the trailer I love a24 first of all uh, and then I love medieval history and anything dealing with that so I was definitely very interested and I didn't see this in theaters I saw it just a couple months ago on my phone uh, grossly I had to watch a lot of things on my phone um, overall I thought it was Excellent. I thought I think it's probably my favorite of his. Uh, I know some people think a ghost story is like the worst film of all time, but I <laughs> I, I like it. And then I think Anthem Body Saints would probably be my second favorite, but I think The Green Knight was definitely feels like his most uh, in command, and it's very it has a fantastical element, but it's not overly done, and it's just plays into the ideas of like masculinity and like, um, um, I guess almost like a toxic kind of masculinity. And I thought that was very interesting as well as the acceptance of death, uh, is I thought was kind of interesting, especially towards the end, but it looks amazing. The score is great. I think it's the same guy who's done the scores for his, all of his movies, but it's a great score. Yeah. It looks amazing. Dev Patel 
he's kind of hit and miss for me over the years, but I think this is probably his best. And then uh, Alicia Vikander, I've, I've loved in everything. So yeah, overall, not to go too much of a rant here, but yeah, I, I thought it was excellent. Okay. What did y'all think? Dear? I love this movie. <laughs> um, I think that it is on, on every level, kind of like what a film should, should feel like. It is visually just beautiful to watch. It's got a very interesting story. It keeps you on your toes the entire time, you know, because it, it, to the, the fantastical point, um, it, it kind of plays with what, with what you're expecting and also what is and is not reality. And I think that that's really interesting. So you have to really pay attention. Um, I've never really been like a medieval lore person mm-hmm. at all. Um, but I found this one really just intoxicating to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't look away. To your point, the the score is absolutely amazing. I think that Dev Patel is doing a phenomenal job. I just, re- everything just kind of lined up for me, just like checks off of my list yeah. you know <laughs> no yeah um so i'm not overly familiar with david lowry pete's dragon was the only david lowry movie that i had seen before this um mm-hmm. you know i had heard of anthem body saints uh and the old man and the gun and and his other films but you know for this reason or that reason they were just never you know movies that i got around to Um, And so when we did the Disney bonus episode and we did Pete's Dragon, um, I was really pleasantly surprised with that movie. It was maybe, you know, a little bit tame by some people's standards. Um, But as far as like the Disney live action remake, I like what it did with it. I liked that it stayed pretty true to what it was, but also made something a little bit different, you know, from the old Pete's Dragon to the new one. and so I saw the trailer for this, and I was pretty interested. And um, and going into it, I was like, you know, if he can if he can just land something even really as good as Pete's Dragon, then it'll be pretty good. Um, and I thought that he absolutely exceeded himself, you know, in full. Um, I thought that this was a really, really well done movie. Um, it hints at multiple influences i think you know on top of just arthurian lore and and storytelling itself i think that there's also a certain guillermo flair and flavor to it um but i don't think that he's like ashamed of that i don't think he's trying to like hide that i think he wears it pretty pretty on the sleeve um i think the cast overall is great um i think it's a really interesting adaptation and like you know Arthurian stories are something that have perpetually changed and warped and and been messed with over time. Um, And so I thought that this was a really, really great take on on this story, which I had some familiarity with before I saw it. Um, And I think think the cast absolutely lands it. Um, I think for me, Dev Patel is definitely, you know, the the strong center point of the film, but I think that there's, I think everyone in the cast is doing a phenomenal job. Um, And even though some of them are like the type you would expect them to be, I think that they play them in unique and different sort of ways. So like Sean Harris is a great pick for Arthur, but his Arthur is Arthur at like the end of his life. You know, he's frail, he's, um, you know, openly more sort of um, humble, 
in a lot of ways than I think some versions of Arthur portray him. Um, I think that Joel Edgerton does a, a phenomenal job as the Lord. Um, I think everyone really just lands, you know, even little moments, little characters, I think, stick with me, you know. Um, the, the beheaded uh, maiden that he goes and finds her head for her. Phenomenal scene. She plays the part hauntingly. And it, yeah, you know, to, to both of y'all's points, it constantly has this questioning of, is it magical realism? Or is none of this actually happening? Or is all of it actually happening as fantastically sort of as it presents itself? Um, and I think that that constant toying is also why um, that final scene, not to get too far into spoilers or anything, but why that final scene ends up working. Yeah. It's because the movie has constantly been toying with you a little bit, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and with David Lowry, he, I mean, the film is definitely like a slower pace, a more like deliberately slower pace. Like it, this isn't King Arthur Legend of the Sword, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, it's, uh, I mean, he seems to be like very interested in the kind of more like, I don't know what the right word is, maybe mundane side of things of a story. Like with Pete's Dragon, that's not really a big epic movie. It's pretty quiet. And it's the same thing with Anthem Body Saints and a Ghost Story, which, you know, some people may call it boring, but I think for the most part, he kind of pulls it off and that feel, it feels very David Lowry in that way. And I think in this film, it really works. Like it builds a really good atmosphere. And as you are saying, uh, the, like little characters, like uh, the Barry, is it Barry Keoghan? I think is how you say his last name, the guy who is, mm -hmm. um, yeah, his character is very interesting and a lot of the, the ones you've mentioned. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a really detailed and intricate movie for sure. Probably his most at this point. Yeah. Um, well, and like having watched it a second time, yeah, there were a lot of things that I really latched onto, you know, in different ways and um, certain things that didn't necessarily work for me the first time I thought worked a little bit better this time. So like the first time that I saw it, I was like, we can cut this giant ship. You know? <laughs> I yeah. I was like, this is pointless. Get rid of it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it worked for me better this time. Okay. Hmm. In, in what um, way? I'm, I've got curiosity. Okay. So. Um, it sort of, I think, hints at um, some of his weakness on a certain sense. You know, here he is, he comes, he asks for help. But then the moment that the giant starts to do something, he quavers. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's almost a little bit of a coward. He's a little bit cravenly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's afraid to commit to the woman. Um, you know, he the only reason he ends up hitting the green knight is because the green knight just kind of stands there and takes the blow, whatever mm -hmm. the blow is. It's not like they get into combat mm -hmm. to land the, the blow. Um, and so I think that it ends up sort of hinting again at this, this fear that he has, mm -hmm. you know, he, he wants honor you know, but then at the very end of the movie, he, the Green Knight doesn't mention his honor. He mentions his bravery, mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
And so I think that he's just sort of, it's on a certain level, I think, almost a coming of age story. And I think that that scene initially didn't work for me, but I think that it worked better having this framework of like, oh, he's just sort of like a a little bit of a generalized coward overall. Mm -hmm. This movie um, reminds me a lot of of Shakespeare. It Mm -hmm. it really felt kind of uh, Macbeth. That's what I was was going to bring up. Yeah. It's, it's this kind of tragic tale almost of, of this person wanting so badly for their goal and, and, and all the trials coming, you know, in their own different ways and him being tested at every stage of the journey and, and still continuing on his quest because he could have turned back so many times, mm-hmm. but he literally like makes it up to the, makes it to the door, you know. Is his final trial is is will or will he or will he not go through with this with with the game as they put it you know it's really interesting honestly yeah yeah well and um if i'm not mistaken you know you mentioned shakespeare and macbeth if i'm not mistaken alicia vikander played lady macbeth no i'm thinking of um i'm thinking of someone else hold on she was in, uh, if it's the Michael Fassbender one, that was uh, Marion Cotillard. Yes. She has done something Shakespeare. I know she has. But her monologue, you know, her, her sort of soliloquy yeah. um, is very much a sort of, you know, out, out, damn spot moment for her character. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I guess she hasn't, actually. Hmm. Well, she, she should. should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but no, I think, I think you're right. I think it has that sort of Shakespearean quality, you know, that nature of a doomed figure. Um, and I think he's also very smart in, in kind of being a little bit loose with his adaptation because it's not really a direct one-to-one adaptation. And I think he pulls in a lot of other tones and textures um, but he's very aware of it. And I, when, when, I, when we were watching it um, yesterday and today, um, there was a moment where he's talking to Alicia Vikander in the library. And she kind of hints on this whole notion of, of what these stories came from, which is, you know, sometimes I write down stories that I've been told or things that I've heard. And occasionally where I think that there's room for improvement, I change them. And so I think that he does this really clever job of taking a story that ultimately used to be about truth and about how it's good to be truthful and ends up turning it into this, like I said, this coming of age story, this coming to terms with who you are um, with, and also with finding sort of your, your bravery. Cause you know, you're right. He does have a lot of opportunities to turn back. The Fox tells him to turn back and that it would be better for him to turn back. Um, yeah, um, (laughs) uh, I still, two real quick side note, I still don't get why the fox had to sound like that, but, um. Paul, you know I love talking animals. When that came on screen. (laughs) (laughs) When you saw the fox, were you just praying that it was going to talk at some point? Yes, that's what I hope for every animal I see in a film. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, I, I think that it's. I think it's a really, really cleverly done tale. Um, yeah, and I, I think that 
I think that he manages to play with the narrative in a really clever way. Well, I think that that's also just kind of the the history of this tale in general from your from your dear history lesson. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people have had their hands on mm-hmm. this story and and what it means and what they want it to mean and who Arthur is and, and definitely I think that's a a great moment when she's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I can just make edits. It's it's fine." You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter now. I'm now the one who wrote it down. I can make it whatever I want it to be. And I think that that's exactly kind of Arthurian lore. And honestly, a lot of our history is, is just a is just a culture as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a time that a lot of this stuff was just word of mouth. And so somebody decided to write it down. Whatever their version of it is now the version that we study. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. For sure. Uh, um, for a little clarification, I suppose I should throw this out there. Uh, you know, the synopsis was one thing. Essentially what happens is this dude, the Green Knight, shows up on Christmas Day in the movie and he issues a challenge. If you, if you strike me, you know, in one year's time, you have to come to my chapel and I'll strike you however you have struck me. And so he chops off his head and then one year later he's like, okay, you know you're going to have to get your head cut off. And um, to get into the spoiler territory, again, talking about this blending of lore and, and myth and things like that, when you get to the weird flash forward, the, the fantasy version of events where he runs away from the Green Knight, um, it almost reminded me of that old folklore thing about the woman with the, with the ribbon. Are you familiar with this? Oh, maybe. It doesn't. Okay, so there's this old folklore bit. Um, Carmen Machado took it and and ended up writing this incredible short story uh, off of it. And it's this this story of, like, a woman who has this ribbon tied around her neck. And, like, no one can take the ribbon off, and she she can't take the ribbon off. And eventually, like, a, a guy comes along and he, like, pulls the ribbon, and it cuts off her head. And so in the original lore, the, the green thing that he gets is said to give him invincibility, but we never really get that tested because ultimately it's actually meant to be um, this, this extension of the game that he's in. And in this story, you know, they kind of almost make it abundantly clear that, like, this is going to be the thing that, like, keeps him alive. And it kind of had this similar feeling to me in that flash forward as that story. Mm-hmm. You know, this person who they've got this thing tied around him and they can't take it off. And, um, and, and then, once he chooses to take it off, then, like, off goes his head. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that it was, I thought that it's a super interesting, super effective um, story. And also, I think by setting it at Christmas, you you do slightly alter some of the, even just by moving when the story takes place, you do kind of also alter what the story means um, on a certain level. The moral? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Because you, you said that it was, um, earlier, you said that it was, it was originally New Year's? Yeah, so in the original tale, it's New Year's Day to New Year's Day. Happy. So yeah, um, so Henry, would you consider this a Christmas film? No, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. Okay, 
No, I think. I mean, if someone does, I'm not. I don't have the energy to fight you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, now that we have you here, I guess just as a quick tangential note, what do you? What 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 for you has to? What are the boxes that have to be checked for it to be a Christmas movie? Hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have necessarily a checklist. I guess I'm I'm pretty basic when it comes to like what a Christmas movie is. Just like a like a Home Alone or a um, I know you put the nice guys on on a list, Paul. We'll have to talk about that later. Um, but like I don't I'm, I, I guess I am just pretty basic. Like I mean, Christmas time obviously, but then I don't even know what the right word would be. Like like this movie doesn't like when it's Christmas time. I'm I'm not like I have to watch The Green Knight. <laughs> you know it's not necessarily like i mean because i guess christmas in like a cliche way you know it's about coming coming together feeling you know good about you know you know loving family friends whatever it may be and so you know giving to others and so i don't know if this really strikes me as uh, uh preaching that uh, in, in a way so like i mean well i mean what about for y'all i mean i because I, I know y'all i mean at least from what I've seen of Paul's lists, his are a little bit more obscure. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, obscure. Um, No, I definitely tend to, you know, my my usual Christmas movies are definitely the ones that like, ooze Christmas on every level, like the Home Alone. I always, I enjoy Jim Carrey's The Grinch movie. I know I am in the minority in that. a lot of people find that movie very creepy, but I, I always loved it. Um, and because Whoville looks like Christmas. Like it just, that's always how I imagine Christmas to feel. It's like everybody decked, to, decked their halls to the maximum, you know. Christmas is the, the best time of year. And I always felt like they really, they really encapsulated that. But yeah. I, I also really enjoy the the random movies that are just like happen to be set at Christmas, but other than that, like really aren't a Christmas story at all. Um, kind of like I guess you know, all of the the not Iron the uh, Iron Man three, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like Christmas is just like a a thing that's it's happening. happening. <laughs> <laughs> so you know when I'm not feeling. I guess as 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 cheery, you know. I usually go to the 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 extreme Christmas ones are directly around the holiday itself. Mm-hmm. But then for like the rest of December, I'm I'm just kind of like, yeah, like winter wintry films are fine, you know. I also like the the um the claymation ones a lot. The um, uh, the Rankin Bass. Yeah, love them. You know, the year without a Santa, great, <laughs> classic. Yeah, like I, I mean, as you're just saying you know, ones that really use Christmas as like a backdrop, like any Shane Black movie, uh, like that, usually I won't watch those around Christmas because I don't think of them. That's not what I think about when I think about those movies. So like if I watch Iron Man 3 in June, I'll be like, oh, right, there's this is at like Christmas time. Whereas something like, you know, I don't know, an obvious one like Home Alone or something that's really strikes you as, or strikes me more as a film like, oh, right, it's like Christmas time you know, I'll watch that, but, which I did. That's good. Um, well, Paul, what about you? Any, any other thoughts? Um, I think, I think for me, this maybe isn't necessarily a true Christmas film. Um, 
I think it I think it kind of fits some of the ideas, right? You know, there's a miracle, there's personal growth, there's accountability, there's kind of this penultimate figure of either his doing right or his doing wrong. Um, and so I think it kind of checks some of the boxes, but also to your point, no, it definitely doesn't really have any of the other trappings of a Christmas story. Uh, and it doesn't really have that that feeling that you have to watch it at Christmas. It is definitely a little bit more of a, of a sort of, you know, any time of year movie versus some of the other ones that we've watched, um, you know, for this month or, or just for our own personal watch. There, there, I think that there are degrees of Christmas, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and yeah, like Iron Man 3, even though it is at Christmas definitely is not really a Christmas movie. Um, so I think that this maybe is still on the spectrum for me, but it's definitely on the lighter side of it where it's not overtly um, trying to tell you a Christmas story. Mm -hmm. um, and actually on a certain level, I think that the original story almost smacks a little bit more of a Christmas story because it's about being honest you know he goes and he lies and he gets in trouble for it kind of a thing you know mm -hmm. which to me smacks more of a christmas narrative uh directly i felt like it was as christmassy as it could be while still feeling appropriate to the time period mm -hmm. because i mean we're in like the, the the middle ages you know there's there's people aren't going to have christmas trees that's a that's a more modern thing that we we've, we've done um you know the decorations not it's not about all of those things it, it was i loved the the halos in their crowns you know mm -hmm. very, oh, yeah. very virgin mary very virgin birth kind of thing and i think that they like leaned more into it being i guess closer to christianity's base than necessarily i guess our modern interpretation mm -hmm. of christmas but i do i do also agree that it's it, it's not you know it is at christmas but it is not necessarily a christmas movie you know yeah no, and like sure. and even i mean i don't even really need it to be a happy movie to be considered a christmas movie like i i know um fx did this adaptation of christmas carol a couple years ago with guy pierce that's like it's a very dark story or uh, dark telling of it but it's it still strikes me as something that really speaks more about Christmas. Whereas I feel like this, it's really used more as a, a backdrop and it's not really, at least to me, it, it didn't, that's not something I would think of when I think of like a Christmas movie, but you know, it's at Christmas. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody out uh, there, I'm sure does. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, well, and I've seen also just in general a whole bunch of other stuff getting added to, you know, sort of people's Christmas canon. Um, you know, on film Twitter, I've seen people talking about Carol uh, being a Christmas movie. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that one I could see more of an argument for. Uh, I saw some uh, people who run like a Lord of the Rings podcast making the claim that uh, the, the Lord of the Rings films are Christmas movies. No. Um, <laughs> you know... Uh, <laughs> Freeform or, or one of those would have you believe that all the Harry Potter films are just because most of them prominently feature Christmas. So, um, I mean, but again, we're say, getting into the splitting of hairs. I mean, I would say, I, I mean, I think 
mm, yeah, even if all of them don't really strike me as Christmas movies, around Christmas time, I do kind of get a Harry Potter vibe. So that one, like, that one I could see more of an argument for is like Harry Potter. That's because it has so many of this, you know, similar ideas or relevant themes. So mm-hmm. I get yeah. that. Um, so Henry, any other, any other thoughts on, on the Green Knight? Um, nothing in particular. Uh, I've only seen it the one time, um, but it's still pretty vivid in my memory. Um, and I think it would get even better on, on rewatch. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. Other than that, not really. Uh, I mean, how does this compare? I know y'all have only seen Pete's Dragon. Um, how would this compare to, uh, I don't know, either other medieval films or other, maybe even other A24 films, recent ones, if there are any that come to mind? It's kind of a hard one to like re- compare to because it is so in its own space, but. Yeah, um, compared to other you know, sort of sword epics or other takes on on Arthur stories. Uh, you know, when I grew up, the the King Arthur movie that I I watched the most and liked the most was uh, Anton Fuqua's King Arthur with Clive Owen, Keira Knightley, mm-hmm. Young Grefford, and mm-hmm. and others. Um, and actually, a little fun fact about that movie: Joel Edgerton, who plays uh, the Lord in Green Knight, uh, played Sir Gawain in the old King Arthur movie. Um, And Hugh Dancy played Galahad. Uh, So I think for me, you know, that movie was really trying to do this, this grounding of the lore in reality, you know, and it was really trying to make it more of like a, almost like a gladiator, you know, kind of film where, um, you know, it's 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 super stripped of a lot of the magic and the magistry and things like that. We're really trying to tell a historically accurate Arthur story, even though we have no historical record of this person. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I really enjoyed that movie as a kid. You know, like I got the director's cut when it came out on DVD. I haven't rewatched that movie in forever, so I have no idea how well it holds up. Um but like if i was going off of my memory of what i have of that to this like i think this is if i think that this is overall a better film um but furthermore i think that it does you know capture more directly of what people imagine when they think of an arthur story um i haven't seen the charlie hunnam guy ritchie oh you got it uh what's it called excalibur is that no uh, legend of the sword yeah, I think so. Hmm. Um, Great. Film. So I haven't seen that one. Um, I'm not opposed to seeing it, but it isn't one that I've ever, ever really had the drive to go out and see either. I liked how big and grandiose and weird it looked, but then I saw more and more of it, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this looks not great." So, um, well, I mean, Paul, I mean, I'll take you through my journey uh, of watching that. Uh, first time I saw it in theater, hated it. Second time I saw it on D- uh, Blu-ray, this isn't bad. Third time, <laughs> went winner. <laughs> okay. Had a great, great comeback. Great, great comeback. I might have to give it a watch. Um, 
but then as far as other A24 releases, um, A24 is largely a distributor. They do, I think, dabble a little bit in the in the producer side of things, but I also know that they give a lot of free reign, you know, when they do pick up a film. You yeah. know, when they when they get one, they don't usually go in and meddle. Um, and I think that all of their stuff is is very effective to varying degrees. And I think that this slides right in league with with all the others, you know, like Ex Machina, um, The Lighthouse, Hereditary, you know. Mm-hmm. They really operate in in a place that that people like Fox Searchlight and Focus Features used to do. And so they're definitely filling a void. Um that in in today's media landscape definitely needs to be sort of protected and and cherished. And I think that they really see that, you know, artistry is commercially viable. And so for me, this definitely fits in line with everything that they normally do. I would love to see um, one of the script books that they put out. I would get, you know, The Green Knight if they did one of those. Uh, Because I have three of them. I have The Witch, Ex Machina and uh, I'm blanking on what the third one is. Not Hereditary. Midsummer. Mm-mm. Oh, it's in the it's in the. It's in the room. other room, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> but it, if this book, if this script ended up being turned into one of those books, I absolutely would get it in a heartbeat. Um, dear, what a, what about you? Um. So okay, first question. Um. So Arthur, or I guess medieval times stories, just in general for me, are all over the board of what I've consumed um, in my in my time on this earth. Um, it, it ranges all the way from Disney's Sword in the Stone to um, like uh, A Knight's Tale to oh yeah, great movie. Um, to honestly, like oh gosh, I just had it. Um, Oh, oh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. So, like, it's really just there's there's this one is 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 what I would consider to be like you know oh you know this one this is this is art right here. Whereas like you know Knight's Tale is more definitely close to to what would be I guess a hmm, what am I trying to say um, based in reality more so i would say you know without all the magicalness and without all the the interesting storytelling of of the the film and how it's put together and the editing and and such whereas like you know robin hood men in tights is a comedy and it's it's kind of poking fun at literally all of it so it really um got just a horrible horrible range over here um but for a24 i think that this one slides perfectly right on in with the with the the others i i this is a movie that i think about a lot and i feel like that's how i feel about a lot of a24 movies it's just you know like ex machina had me up at night after Mm. watching that movie just going like oh man couldn't have made anything like this if i tried you know, or or the the witch, who's such an interesting movie. Um, so I think, honestly, I feel like this is just like the next chapter in the book for me. You know, I'm I mm-hmm. second your opinion of if it came out in, as a script, I would I would love to read it because I I think that um, 
I'm going to call her the matron. Um, the matron of the house's monologue. I think about that a lot about her, her, um, what, why is he green versus any other color? And I just, I, I, I think that it's so interesting and I love her like weird turn in it of it being like an innocent conversation to her being like very pointedly like having an opinion about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, um, I, I think that it's just, it's just really interesting. It's a really beautiful movie just to watch. Like, even if you didn't have the sound on, I just think that all of like, I could pause this movie at any time and be like, mm, frame it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fair. Um, what about you, Henry? Uh, I mean, I guess it is kind of hard to like, I mean, A24, as I said, I, I love A24 and I guess it's, this is definitely one of their better ones in recent years. They've had some, some other good ones recently, but uh, I think they had a couple years where they kind of dipped a little bit, but I think this uh, was definitely one of their stronger ones. And comparing it to like other medieval movies, I guess it is kind of hard because a lot of them are big action films, whereas this is very quiet and slow. And so I would almost compare it to like a TV show, like a, like Vikings or, you know, Rome or something like that, where it's a little bit more about the characters and it's slower paced. But, and I don't know if y'all saw uh, this year, The Last Duel, the Ridley Scott medieval film. Um, that one was quite good. I think I liked that one a little bit more than this, but uh, also because Ridley Scott blamed millenn- uh, millennials for everything, um, yeah. for the why it bombed. Anyways, yeah, get in line, man. We get blamed for everything. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think it's it's one of my uh, favorite films of the year. Uh, either way, yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, what would you give uh, out of five? The Green Knight. Gosh, out of five, I'll go four and a half. Okay. I could see it going up to a five on on rewatch. Okay. You? Well, I five. I loved this movie. I could I could watch this movie, you know, on on repeat instead of whatever they watch on Christmas Day. Oh, gosh, what did I watch one year for Christmas? It was like the that really that uh the one with the I can't put my arms down. God, what is, what's the name of that movie? Christmas Story. Yeah, Christmas Story. Yeah. I'd rather watch this on repeat than a Christmas Story on repeat. Anyway. That's fair enough. <laughs> um. I'm in a second the five. I think that it's a really intelligent film. I think it's very layered. Like I could really go into a whole breakdown on it, um, especially after the second watch, you know, how how when he finally gets the crown on it, it's oxidized to have green overtaking it and how she talks about how green will overtake everything. And and so like, I think it's just a, a really, really excellently crafted movie. Um, and so I'm I'm kind of inclined to give it a five um as well uh i i'm yeah I'm, I'm gonna give it a five um i do have one more question about it now that we're also sort of done with the rating major spoilers um do you think he died at the end you know we cut the black do you think sir gawain made it out or not mm-hmm. i'm gonna say no i'm gonna be cynical you think that he got beheaded in full yeah, he's fucked. Okay. Dear, what about you? See, I don't think that I don't think that the night goes through with it after, you know yeah. after all of this, I think that the test was whether or not he was willing to to do it. 
Mm-hmm. And then once he fully accepts his fate and, you know, takes off the belt and is like, whatever happens, happens. I think that that is the moment that the, that the Green Knight is like, cool, you've passed. Good day. You know? Mm. When I first saw it, I thought he was dead. The second time that I saw it, partially based on on how the moment struck me, but also partially based on on some things that people say leading up to it, um, I think he does live. And um, I think, you know, off with your head, I think actually him drawing his finger across the neck was him sort of returning the blow. Yeah. And then off with your head was more of an instruction, you know, mm-hmm. off with you, you know, off with your head. <laughs> and I think that it reads a little bit I more that. as a, um, in that sort of direction. No, yeah. Cause I think that that, it was like a whole test of, of nobility and honor. And I think that once he was willing to basically make the ultimate sacrifice, mm-hmm. that that was, that was enough that he had he had been deemed worthy by by the gods or whatever and he could you know live his life now in in going down the right path instead of instead of what he would have done which was the the weird like forward that we got Mm -hmm. um of what his fate could be if he he had run away and been a coward he's always going to be a coward um let me tell you the original ending of the story is super weird um, so in the original, are you familiar with the original text? Uh-huh. Okay. So in the original text, you know, he does the whole thing where, and again, it's this repeated idea of gamesmanship and gaming. He goes and he makes the agreement with the Lord of the house. Who's like, ah, you know, I'll go out and get something. When I come back, you'll give me what you get here. And so day one, he gets a kiss. And so when the Lord of the house comes, he kisses him. And the next day, the lady of the house gives him two kisses. And so when the Lord comes back with more game, he gets two. Third day, he gets three kisses, but then he also gets uh, the green sash, the girdle. And she's like, this will make you invincible. And he's like, oh, okay. And he keeps it. And when the Lord comes back, he only gives him the three kisses. He does not return the gift to him. And so then he gets all the way out to the Green Chapel and he does two fake outs and, you know, like he he does some whinging and some wincing and he mocks him for it. And so then finally he's like, all right, all right, all right, I'll do it. And he goes and he just nicks him. Um, and he, Gwen gets sort of irritated and and doesn't understand and he's like, I drew blood from you for lying. And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, ha ha. And it turns out that the Green Knight was actually the Lord of the House the whole time. Mm. And this has all been an elaborate thing staged by Morgan Le Fay, Arthur's uh, half-sister, to sort of test him. And then moving forward, you know, he's he's decided to be brave and true now that he's learned his lesson. But then from that day forth, he and all of the other knights of the round table wear a green sash to remind them of, you know, the sin of dishonesty and the value of telling the truth. 
And so that's the original ending. So the original ending's a total, totally weirder experience. Yeah. It's got a lot more kissing in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So yeah, there's um there you have it. That's uh that's the original ending of the story. So Okay. Um I think that's about all that we have on on the Green Knight. Um I guess we could jump into some some sort of general news. Um, you know, the big news is Spider-Man is killing it. Yeah. Um, it's crushing it at the box office. I haven't gone. I'm probably not going to go for a while. Um, if I ever go, mm. I might just wait until it comes out later. Um, but I mean, like it's, it's absolutely dominating it. It's now the second largest, uh, weekend release ever. I think it ended up grossing like 260 million opening weekend. Jeez. Yeah. Um, so weird. it has a, a better release than Force Awakens, and it's just under Endgame by like a few dozen million. Yeah. I mean, give them, give the people what they want, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love having things regurgitated to me. Oh yeah. yeah. Have you seen it yet? Are you going to? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with someone tomorrow uh, while I'm okay. here. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't been able to go to a, and I, I just got my booster shot yesterday, um, so I'm feeling, feeling a little, a little off. Yeah, a little yeah. off. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go tomorrow just because it would be one of my few chances to go see a movie. Um, yeah. But, which you know, I I'm not like I'm not dying to see it, but you know, it's it's fine. <laughs> Well, and, and <laughs> admittedly, you know, of things to see, you know, I'm sure that the spectacle of it will be enjoyable, you know, even if you end up not necessarily liking the film. Exactly. It, it definitely is spectacle. And so if you are going to only be able to, you know, while you're, while you're in town, see one, that's probably one that's more worth trying to see. I agree. Yeah. Um. It just dropped today. the The new Matrix movie just came out. Yes. Um, hmm. So I might end up giving that a, a check out later. Um, also, today is the the drop of the Hawkeye finale. Okay. Um, Have you all so, seen any of that? Yeah, we've been keeping up with it weekly. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen any of it yet, so I'm I'm curious. Um, it's good. It's not great. It's it's. I I think I'm actually. I think it had some stronger elements early on, and it has a little bit of a saggy middle for me. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really interested to see what the what the finale has in has in store for us. It is also set at Christmas time, so it's perfect for this mm -hmm. time. You know, perfect, yeah. it. <laughs> Um, and then like we we just went through and rewatched all of the Matrix movies, and so we'll probably catch Resurrections. It's got, um. The last time I checked, it was sitting at like a 67 with 85 reviews uh, yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, fairly well. Yeah, you know. Um, so, but that's again probably, I don't know if that one's in theaters or just on HBO. Um, but I'll probably end up just catching it here at home on HBO. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, other big news. We haven't watched it yet, but the trailer did just drop. I watched like little snippets of it without any volume for the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. The new trailer okay. and poster just came out. Um, it was attached to the end of Spider-Man No Way Home as the post credit scene. 
hmm. um, which they don't normally do. Uh, someone was like, they've never done it before, and that's not technically accurate. They did it with Captain America, the first Avenger. The end of Captain America had a little teaser trailer, not very long, for the Avengers um, because it was one year before. Okay. Um, that's all kind of the big media news as far as I can think of. Um, yeah. Uh, and then as far as what we've been watching, we've just been watching Christmas stuff. Like we haven't really had a chance to. I mean, Christmas and Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, what have? Well, I mean, well, what are some Christmas movies y'all have watched? Out of curiosity. The ones for the show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fair um, enough. I guess the only thing that we watched outside of show stuff um, was Elf. Was Elf? Yeah, we watched that with the family. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, is is there anything else that you've been watching that you, now that you've been home and have a little bit more time? Um. So yeah, towards the end of the um the prep course, I had a lot more free time to where I could catch up on stuff. So I did see a handful of stuff and I'll just try and burn through these so I don't uh, use up too much of anybody's time. So I saw Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which was not great. Uh, and I, I, I like the first one to a certain extent, but I think this one, I think Woody Harrelson, as much as I loved him, the character just was not well done. I think his performance just didn't really fit. And just the, the overall story, I just didn't think, didn't really have any real heart to it. It just felt very, by the numbers and so yeah it was that had had moments it's not horrible by any means but uh wasn't a a great sequel then i saw the forever purge which is the fifth i guess fifth and final purge supposedly and it's all about um if instead of the purge being just 12 hours or 24 hours if what if the purge was all the time and it was it was okay i don't want to sound like overly cynical about all these movies but it was okay uh it kind of had a Western element, which was interesting, but it, it didn't do a whole lot with that. So I wish it, wish it had. And I feel like a lot of the movies could be great if they actually had like a director mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, I've, you know, someone who could really take it and do some really potent social commentary. Um, but it was still, it was, you know, it was all right. And then um, to just keep repeating myself, I watched Old, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, and it was just okay. Uh, <laughs> um hopefully you're this just having a tough go man yeah hopefully this isn't people's first impression i mean hopefully you've heard a little bit of my previous work but uh <laughs> so, yeah, so old as you know uh, this family goes to this, this beach like towards the uh location and suddenly they start aging rapidly and it's just all about the the sudden you know impact of all of that and then trying to figure out how to get out and what's going on and I mean, in my Shyamalan, I, I love and I'll watch whatever he does. I think the ideas are very interesting, but he just goes so far with it and tries to jam so much into it that it's just not all that memorable by the end. And it's kind of goofy also. Um, then I watched, uh, let's see here. I watched Spencer, the Princess Diana biopic, quote unquote, with Kristen Stewart, which I think is probably my favorite movie of the year. And it's by the guy who did Jackie with Natalie Portman. And yeah, I mean, Kristen Stewart is amazing in it. The score is by Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. And it's a great score. And it's a very small slice of life as opposed to being like her whole life. And it's much more unsettling and eerie than I thought it would be, but kind of in a good way. 
Um, it's kind of like a, a paranoia psychological breakdown. So that was quite interesting. Then I watched Halloween Kills. Yeah. I know Paul, I know y'all loved it, or at least I know I know Paul loved it. Did you like it? Oh yeah, no. Horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh and I know Sky Tilly quote unquote called it trash, and I'm so mm -hmm. glad he's not here so I can just run unopposed with it. I thought it was awesome. Hell yeah, there we go. <laughs> like I, I thought it's not like a I don't know if it does anything that's groundbreaking, but definitely the goriest uh one, but also I think as opposed to like the Rob Zombie ones, the most creative. Like I thought mm -hmm. all the kills were very entertaining, quote unquote, or well done. Um, I thought some of the ideas towards the end were very interesting. And I thought it was just very, like I was never bored. Like I thought it just, it flowed really well. And I thought David Gordon Green really directed it well. And I thought, and the score by John Carpenter and family or friends, I can't remember who, who else it was, but that was awesome. So I was, it's one of my favorites of the year for sure. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then that might be about it here. Let's see. Um, I watched oh, uh, one movie from last year I watched called Shadow in the Cloud with Chloe Grace Moretz. Okay. And it's this World War II fantasy film where she's, she uh, is an air crew member on this plane, I think flying over maybe the Pacific or something. But there are these, uh, this sounds so stupid. Um, they're like these goblin like creatures that the Japanese are using to attack planes. And it's a very like self-contained, like it's basically is all on this one plane. Um, and it's mostly just her that you're seeing. You're only hearing voices from other um, people on the, on the plane. And it's, it was okay. Uh, I feel like I kind of had a bad run of, of choices, unfortunately, but um, it was, I, I like, Chloe Grace Moretz, she's kind of grown on me over the years, and I, I really enjoy World War II history. Um, so, I mean, if you like um, self-aware B-movies, I might recommend it, but uh, I wish it had done a little bit more uh, than it did. Uh, but still kind of a cool little one-off movie that I feel like kind of just went under the radar completely. Um, okay. And other than that, I don't know if I have any other new releases. I've just been re-watching, you know, this and that to stay entertained. Um, mm -hmm so yeah that might be about it okay well that's not a bad list um, yeah. and again you've definitely seen a lot more new stuff than than we have um actually we're thinking about having january be sort of a um a what we missed month where mm -hmm. we go back and cover a lot of the things that came out through oh, cool. 2021 that just didn't fit with what we were doing or we didn't have the time for or we're only in theaters um and so yeah we'll probably end up doing some of that and covering some of those that you just talked about probably so yeah um yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I mean like over the last two months we would be so tired that i would just like we'd be in bed by like eight o'clock and so i would just like we'd be out and so um movies would only be really maybe on the weekends or something or when we've had uh, time off over the last couple of weeks so i've been kind of stuffing stuff in um but yeah i think that's that's about it for me paul okay well um i think that's honestly just about all that we have for y'all today um lauren is going to to do a little christmas history lesson but we're going to record that sort of uh separately and tag it on um <laughs> and so 
we'll we'll have that out probably either with this episode or it'll be attached to to next week's and then next week we're going to do gremlins and probably also gremlins 2 um henry you know will probably be joining us um and um yeah i think that's just about all that we have um be sure to tune in next week uh henry thank you so much for coming on i know that i'm sure that there are a lot of people who are you know, wanting to see you and then spend time with you while you're here. <laughs> um, but, but no, yeah, thank you. Th- you. <laughs> thank you. No, I no, I appreciate it. And yeah, it's been it's been nice to to be back on after so long. And yeah, I'm, I hope I can be on again next week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, beyond that, you know, stay safe, everyone. If you do go to the theaters, um, you know, wear a mask. Maybe wear two. Yeah, no movie is worth catching any sort of sickness, whether it be, you know, COVID or the flu. There's really no movie that's worth any kind of ailment um, or injury. So be safe out there. Um, This episode is going to be coming out on Christmas Eve. So also Merry Christmas to everyone who is is uh, observing the holiday. And uh, remember to be good to each other. Yeah. Have a good have a good time everyone and uh, we'll see y'all next week. Bye. See you.